I'll go start the coffee. I'll be down in a minute. Scooby dooby dooby doo wop. Pastor and Laura wake up. Good morning. Oh, good morning. <sighs> what? You're yawning? No, I'm not. I was just waiting to see what you were going to say. Oh. I was going to say we are in chapter 27. Starting of the book of Acts. (laughs) Acts of the Apostles. Yeah. We just read about the trial. Well, not really a trial, I guess. Was it like a hearing before Agrippa? Yeah, it seems more like discovery. I don't know (laughs) exactly what you would call that. Maybe a grand jury of some sort. Yeah, he was looking for some... They were looking for something to say about Paul so they could send him to Caesar with a some type of accusation. And after Paul said everything and argued his case, they said this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But I guess he set off a string of events, so now he has to go to Caesar. Correct? Yeah. It's just strange also that he's appealing and he doesn't have a formal charge against him that they're willing to keep him in. What do you mean it's strange? I mean, I know what you're saying. Well, in our, I mean, according to the way that we view courts, if you're arrested and you're being held in jail for two years, people probably want to know why they're actually there. What well, he is knows what the accusation is. Cause he's been, he went on trial before Felix, he went on trial before Festus, and then Festus sent him to Agrippa, and he's been in jail for, yeah, at least two years, and they keep wanting to take him, the, I'm sorry, they, the Sanhedrin, keep wanting to take him to, back to Jerusalem to charge him, and also to ambush him and kill him along the way. So I think he's appealing because he knows he's safest when he's not in Jerusalem. And he's using his Roman citizenship to keep him away from Jerusalem. I guess I'm not... I I know I framed it from the viewpoint of Paul. Just viewing it from the viewpoint of Festus and Felix here that... They're appealing. He's being well, sent they there. Think and it's strange that he's... Um, that he is appealing? Well, I know they said. You're saying it's strange from a different point of view, not from Paul's point of view. From Felix, Felix and Festus's. Mm-hmm. That as a judge and juror, basically, of this, to not have the their story straight so the charge is defined against him, that when he said, I appealed to Caesar, saying, okay, great, well, let me write the letter, let you know what the charge is, but it seems that the charge is so weak that they would almost feel stupid sending this guy to appeal to Caesar and waste his time because they should have been strong enough to say, no, this really isn't a charge, let him go. Yeah, it would be interesting to learn more about the law at this time, like how... Did something like get officially filed that he appealed and now 
he has an appointment in Rome or something, like, why don't they just say forget it? But they're like, oh, he appealed to Caesar, so now we have to do this. Like, why is that so binding, you know? Like, why can't they just say, never mind, you you don't need to appeal, you're, you're set free, you know? Like, how did, did the messenger already take this appeal to Rome and they're expecting him and they can't undo it? Like, it just sounds kind of like it's set in stone right now. But at the same time, most of this stuff sounds like they're kind of making it up as they go. <laughs> like, you, now you have to talk to this guy. Okay, well, now you have to talk to this guy. Well, let's let Agrippa hear it and his wife, daughter, whoever is with him, you know, like, they're just kind of, you know, you can just stay in this house for two years and it sounds kind of like it's pretty fluid. And now they're like, well, we could have let you go, but you appealed to Caesar and... You know what that means now. <laughs> like, okay, it's just kind of be be. I mean, a whole like a lot of studying in a history lesson to figure out why. I mean, that's what I think. Unless you know, do you know why it's so official that he has has to go see Caesar after all this weak evidence? Well, I know as a Roman citizen that he has the right to appeal to Caesar. So if he flexes that right and he says, I appeal, and maybe at some point there's a conversation we don't see that is, do you want to be set free or do you really want to appeal to Caesar? I appeal to Caesar. But we don't have that. It's just... Well, just the last verse of 26 says, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So it's like... He said some magic words that bound him to have to go to Rome now. There's absolutely no way we can set him free. So, it's kind of weird. But anyway, let's get started with chapter 27, Paul Sails for Rome. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, and about to sail for the ports along the coasts of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go with his, to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again, and passed the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, there, a centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off (laughs) Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. Salmoni? Salmoni? Salmonen. That's what it is in the Greek. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the the town of Lycia. Okay. Fair Havens is a good name compared to all these other names. Um, I don't know why that's the only one they translated. uh, Okay, wait. So, on the first one... They're handed over to a centurion named Julius. Is mm-hmm. Julius continuing with them this whole time? Yeah, it seems like he is their 
okay, escort. I was going to say, it's pretty trusting of them just to let them find their own way to, to Rome. But he did allow him to go see his friends to provide for his needs. Maybe he went with them. Maybe he also went to their house with them. Sure. It also seems like he knows Paul's in a flight risk because he maybe he had talked to well get, uh, did he already read about the time he snuck out in a basket like yeah but that, that was before he got to be in custody that, that was in Jerusalem yeah. but here saying. at this point he's like if he had talked to Festus Felix sorry and Felix said this guy could have been free but he really wants to go to Rome and appeal this to Caesar and he's been talking to him for weeks and weeks and weeks on these boats. Sure. Okay, so basically, this is saying they're traveling to Rome. And there's it's all the little cities that they go to. A little bit of weather in some places, and they don't make it to certain places, so they stop at different places. Yeah, and their boats, if a boat was going, they wouldn't just have a passenger ship because mm-hmm. they wouldn't make enough money for that well so they're prisoners yeah they get trips sure so they would be traveling from port city to port city carrying different goods and supplies sure importing and exporting and right. why did you look at me because i don't know this is a redundant little, yeah a little long okay <laughs> all right we'll move on uh speaking of which Verse 9, much time had been lost. (laughs) Just like that explanation. We'll never get it back. And sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. Note here, that is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. But the centurion insisted on listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, not insisted. Oof. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was the harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. The next section's called The Storm. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called the Northeaster, swept down on the island. The ship was caught by storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, 
You should not. You should have taken my advice not to sail the Crete. Then you would have spared yourself the damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the the God whose whose I am and who whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail to you, sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Anything you want to add about the storm before we get to the next section? Well, there's some interesting things about the ship there a little bit earlier that the storm was so bad and this is all sails you have to remember so they're not able to how big do you think the ship is like lengthwise I forget how many I think it mentions later on how many men were actually on it mm. I well, forget the number but we'll get to that okay. but uh, just what they do First, they run the ropes, under ropes the underneath. Yeah. So, the, there was so strong of waves beating against it that they were afraid that it was going to crack or break. Or if they're going over big waves and dropping down very hard, yeah. up and down, that they're afraid it's going to snap in half. And then the sea anchor... It's not an actual anchor that you think of. I don't know. Well, anchor shaped, whatever. That they would drag along the ground. Uh-huh. What they do is it'd be almost like an underground sail of some sort of like a water like a big, anchor. Big rudder kind of like thing. Yeah, so it just slow down hmm. how fast the ship is going to be moving in one direction. Interesting. Uh, so... And then the tackle is not fishing tackle. Oh. It would be all of the... Picturing all the worms. Yeah, the the worms and the (laughs) the sinkers and the bobbers. All their tackle boxes. Yeah, they're not going to catch too many musky that way. Um, Go on. I'm not going to acknowledge your bad accent. I thought it was was good. Go on, please. Anyway, it would have been the, the things necessary for sailing. So they're basically giving up of trying to sail in any direction. They're trying to make the boat as light as possible because they're very sure they're going to be run aground somewhere. And if they're heavy, they have a chance of hitting things farther away from land. So if they make it super, super light, the boat sits up higher in the water and they can get closer to land when they actually crash. Mm. That's their idea. So that's why they throw off the cargo and all of that too. Yeah. Well, then the angel of God, and I stumbled over this phrase, but it says, the angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve, which is a weird way of saying it, but the angel of God told him that he would be saved and he would make it to Caesar, so. Sure, and he's... That's good. He's not... He's trying to calm everyone down here, so he's not trying to convert them at this point. The one and only true God, and none of you have other gods. 
He's just saying, my God, who is powerful enough to do this, has told me we're going to be saved. So. All right, on to the shipwreck. Verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors in the stern from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down to sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Bow. Sorry. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes and held the light held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last fourteenth days, he said, You have gone you have been in constant suspense, and you have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some of the bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Okay, so that's a lot more than I was picturing. So first, some people were going to try to escape. He said nobody should try to escape. And they cut loose the lifeboats. Mm-hmm. Then, is there enough food for all these men, or is this a miracle that happens here? No, there would have been enough food. Why hadn't they been eating before then? They just had been running all over the place trying to keep busy? the ship together. Are you saying they're too busy to eat? They're too busy, and they're all afraid they're going to die. Because it's been a storm for two weeks. Yeah. And they're all just thinking they're going to die. I don't think this it means well, necessarily it they haven't eaten anything. Well, because it starts kind of like a miracle anything. where he's like, he took the bread and gave thanks to them. There was this many people and they all ate as much as they wanted. If they had a, enough food to be eating that much, I mean, this trip is obviously taking a lot longer than planned. Right? Yeah, but they still have more grain on the boat. Right, that but just maybe they over. were saving just a little bit or rationing it or peop- only certain people were eating. I don't know. To me, it sounds like the way it's so specific. like Similar to like the feeding of the 5,000. Yeah, 5, he broke it in front of them, gave thanks. But it doesn't then, say he gave it to them. I wouldn't read in that it was a miracle. I'm not ruling it out completely, but... You just said they eat as much as they wanted, and if they hadn't eaten for all the... I mean, I guess if they really were... I don't know. Not eating, there would have been a reason for it. Like, they thought they were going to run out, or their rations were low, or something like that. For 270 people... I think it's just rations. I don't think it's... They had not eaten anything. But he says, hey... Everybody eat, eat right now because meal. we're gonna, okay. we're gonna okay. crash. All right, continuing on at verse thirty nine, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, 
but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. They, then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck... Bow. Bow. <laughs> ah, I was like, I'm not going to say it wrong. And then I double, triple guessed myself. Say it, say it again. Bow. The bow struck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get on the planks or on the pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a pretty foolproof plan. If you kill people, they have a tough time escaping. So there's more than one prisoner. Paul's not the only one on Mm -hmm. this cargo ship seeking to go to Rome. But, uh... Yeah, it seems like there's a party. There's at least the centurion, and then that one guy, was it Julius? Juli- Julius is the centurion. Oh, uh, the guy from Thessalonia, oh, Thessalonica. Uh, area Tigris or something. Yeah. <laughs> Another name I can't say. But there were probably other ones, too, that sure. he was taking there. And, yeah, so they cut all the anchors because they're planning to... They're trying to get... Get as much speed as possible. Yeah to run it up there and then they they hit the sandbar the the whole ship kind of breaks to pieces and then the people who can swim get to swim away and the people who can't have to float in on driftwood basically Mm -hmm. alright but God kept his promise but all of them made it to land. Yeah. So, Paul was right. God was right. God was right. Talking through Paul. Yeah. And, yeah. His journey continues for another day. Mm-hmm. Or I think this, as we've said over and over again, not getting to all of the lessons of Paul regularly... I think him being shipwrecked is one of those that... Oh, well, remember when Paul was shipwrecked? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, if you ask the average person how many shipwrecks are in the Bible, you always hear about just people being rescued by Jesus, him calming the storm or doing this or that, but... Yeah, I think in the timeline of Paul's life, I would have had a hard time... When was he shipwrecked? Was this, like, during the first? Or, like, he went on so many boat rides (laughs) we heard about. And then it was on his way to Rome. But then how many times was he in jail? You know, because you hear about all these times people were in jail. And that, too, if you only hear one story, one story about Paul a year, are you hearing about this shipwreck? And then you miss out on all that context of why he's even on this boat and where he's going and so I'm Mm -hmm. glad again that we are reading this book together because it's really helping me with my timeline of Paul 
And yeah. So. It's even more exciting when he's on the island, too. Don't spoil it. I'm not. I'm teasing. Tomorrow teasing. is the last chapter of Acts. Wow. And then the everything else we know about Paul, we pieced together from things he wrote in his letters while he was on all these journeys. But this is the last of the Acts of the Apostles. Wow. So... Next time, chapter 28, the end of the Acts. We'll see you then. Any questions? We didn't actually go through a lot of questions, but I don't, I didn't have any, so that's just the way it goes some days. Yeah. If you have questions, email pastor at the Springs. Is what? Pastor at the Springs Lutheran dot org. And um, we could talk about those. But yeah, sorry. Felt like it was pretty straightforward, and I. Didn't have a lot of questions I don't think you today. have to apologize for not having questions. I know. It's just a Midwestern thing to apologize all the time. Sorry. Didn't mean to yeah. excuse you that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that bad. All right. Well, we will do some more tomorrow. And have a great day. Bye. Bye. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop. Pastor and Laura wake up.